Welcome to an episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And it's our favorite time of year, Thomas, it feels like. I feel like we're in the, the big run of October, December. It's my favorite <laughs> part of the year because it's like Halloween, birthday, Thanksgiving, Christmas. It's all that stuff rolled together. And I think it's a fun month for us as film podcasters because we're talking about horror mm-hmm. films. And we've talked about this before. We both didn't grow up a lot with horror films, it feels like. Right. Because I, 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 I wouldn't discover horror because I was like just a scared child till like I was like in high school, maybe like late high yeah. school into uh, into uh, college. Um, and I feel like now, like I'm I've, I watch more horror films than I used to, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so I know yeah. both of us, we watch a lot during October. Like you're you're in the middle of or you're the beginning of your like spooktober, hooptober fest. Yeah, I definitely when I was a kid, I, I had a very overactive imagination, so I didn't even need like. You know, if I saw anything scary, then it was I was I was also uh, like had insomnia when I was a kid. So like I just lay in bed at night <laughs> uh-huh. and just like all of these these things in my head. I was like, well, this person's going to come here and this is going to happen. Yeah. So I, I didn't need anything stoking my imagination <laughs> any further. I was already scared enough of the, the kid snatcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I didn't need true <laughs> horror films. Um but, you know, as, as I got older, um, especially once I kind of I got into college and I started studying film and then it just kind of became like, well, you yeah. need to see you need to see this one and you got to see this one. And then I was like, oh, I kind of like this. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and so then for a while I was like, well, I only like elevated horror. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, I was and then, you know, sometime in college, I was just flipping the channels and AMC had like all the Michael Myers movies on. I was like, I'm going to watch all of these all the way through. And then I was like, OK, I just like. I'm very interested in horror in general. And and I think you and I, as both people who enjoy, obviously from this podcast, uh, genre studies yeah. and, and, and seeing tropes and, and genres, um, it, it, prov- it presents this whole new field that we can dive into that we weren't as, as steeped in. So like literally today I was just sitting on the, uh, I was scrolling through shutter looking at movies and I'm just like, there is there's just so much out there that is horror that I've never seen. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a, it's such a weird fandom. It is, it, it is so bizarre. People, you know, will latch onto something that is, ob- that they like know is objectively bad and be like, I love this one. <laughs> yeah. I think horror, not to criticize the fandom, but I think horror fans can be one of two things, either very forgiving mm-hmm. or like very brutal in their judgment. Yes, I think yes. it's I think it's kind of in between. There's not a lot in between. Uh-uh. And I'm not saying there's a bad thing with that. I but I think like because I think sometimes I watch a horror film that like it's just 80s cheese cheese basically. We're like it's mm-hmm. not one great, but like I like elements of it mm-hmm. that makes it interesting and fun. And I think that's a lot of times just like having fun. But yeah, I know, and I think you know this more. They, were you? Were you in, did you have a film at like a horror festival in South Carolina? Or yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm my my senior year of college. I, I wrote and directed a, a horror film and got into a, a horror film festival. And yeah, I, I'm sure I've told you this story, but you know, we went for this full weekend, and there were a lot a lot of the shorts were like really unique and interesting, but almost all the the features mm-hmm. were just slashers set in the woods yep. because like that's 
you know, the cheapest kind of horror. And I've starred in one of those. <laughs> so you can go find that online. Well, it's just like we were just sitting there like all weekend just watching the same movie over and over again. And then, you'd, you know, you'd go to these like cocktail hours and all the filmmakers would be there. And, you know, people would come up to the guy who directed the like third slasher in the woods movie that we'd seen that that weekend and be like oh i really liked like this kill from your movie yeah like that's the only thing that was different in that movie yeah, from any other yeah stuff. and i think too when talking about with slasher films this month as we're that's our kind of topic it's like with slasher films it's really kind of about like how innovative you can get with the kill mm-hmm. it's like how can you change it up like you said because the genre tropes or whatever it's like i think a lot of times you're always gonna have the same type killer with the same type motivation but the kills are what makes the movie in some way mm-hmm. or, or, or with a sequel, you have to elevate the kills in some way. Um, but yeah, the, the, the kids in the woods, uh, again, I was in one, I think it's on prime. I'm not going to say the name. You can go find it. I think you can figure it out. Just search my name. You'll find it somewhere. Um, yeah, we were, we were literally like, there was one where they were like camping and then, and then there was one, that was set at like a high school reunion and yeah. I, like going into that one, I was like, Oh cool. It's going to be like a, like a high school movie. Yeah. They're going to go back to their like high school and there's going to be a slasher like in the high school. And then it was like, yeah, we're having our high school reunion at this cabin in the woods. And I was like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and see, I, I always liked the like possibly doing a high school reunion horror film. I think we, you and I have talked about that before because it's an interesting idea and it's been done before. But it's never done like the way like I want it to see it done. And I think like mm-hmm. s- some of the Scream sequels have like walked the line of like a horror reunion movie. Mm-hmm. It's more yeah. just like these specific characters reunite, but not like a big like event of a reunion in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a movie called Slaughter High. I remember from the 80s it does it. And it was like their their five year reunion, which didn't make any <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> Like, it's our five-year reunion and like the school's now decrepit and old it was, it was really just like we want to make a high school horror movie but like we can only find 22 year old actors so. yeah. yeah that's what it was um but yeah so we're, we're gonna be talking a lot about horror films this month slasher films mainly but also we're starting something very new for the podcast and then we're starting a patreon i feel like we've talked we've, we've mentioned it to ourselves several times but never like wanted to pull the trigger on a patreon but People have asked us for more content or just to hear more from us. And Patreon would help us continue the show as it is and to just kind of help fund the show. I think mm-hmm. for people don't know is like we we do this like in our spare time and we release a show a week, which is insane sometimes. <laughs> um, it's like it's sometimes it feels like SNL where I'm trying to like put out an episode the night before I was like, I'm editing it, like, okay. I just put it out and hope it, hope it sounds good. But uh, this will kind of help fund it and f- host the site and also just kind of help us put this together in some way. Um, I think a lot of people I've talked to, they're like, oh, wait, you weren't getting paid at all? I was like, no, we're just doing it for fun. Have you? Yeah, it's like, have you ever heard an ad read? <laughs> on our, no. Do you listen to the show? Yeah, so, and I know our, po- our podcast is growing as we keep putting these out there. So if you can, when the Patreon comes up this month, if you can... Whatever you can, dollar, five, ten, whatever, whatever kind of our, our tiers will be. Um, support us if you can, and we'll try to give you the best content possible and, and new content, and exclusive content for yourself. Um, but also just just share the show, share it on your social media, um, review us if you can, um, whatever you can. We'll we'll do our best to, I guess, retweet it, reshare it, uh, and thank you for being a part of the show in some way. Because um, you guys who are listening 
Like you guys make it for us. Like we're, I mean, I love just talking to Thomas about movies in general, but it's also great to hear what people have to say about yeah, what we're I was talking about. about. To say we wouldn't be doing this if no one was listening, but that we have we're, had periods where we were doing it. And no one was <laughs> no listening. listening. So like uh, yeah, early on during COVID, we were doing it. We're, literally, I don't think anyone was listening to us at the beginning of COVID. Like it was just, it was very rock bottom. And it just kind of became Thomas and I talking about movies that we love or that I think Thomas should watch or Thomas thinks I should watch or that we <laughs> think that you guys, that you all should watch in some way we think is important. Um, so this Patreon, we hope to bring more of that to you of other movies we love and other movies you love and kind of discover more about the creation behind it and the importance behind it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so be prepared for that. It's coming this month. Just want to tell you guys now, but for the main episodes of this month, we're talking about the slasher genre. And so Thomas, we just kind of had a brief thing about the the horror genre, but what's, what do you think of when you think of the slasher genre? What's kind of your relationship with it? I mean, I think, I think of the eighties, I think of the, yeah, you know, kind of the prime. major franchises, yeah. um, you know, all the, all the kind of major horror icons are slashers really. Yeah. Um, it's so, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to to distance it from the the icons, the Michael Myers, the Jasons, the Freddies, the Freddies, yeah. the Chuckies. Um, but but then when you when you do start kind of diving into film and horror specifically, you just realize like everything in the eighties was just knocking off these these slasher movies yeah. and and just trying. Everyone was trying to create the next Jason, yeah. the next uh, Michael. And so it's it's just such a like well, probably one of the most dominant subgenres in genre filmmaking yeah. as far as like the horror and the slasher. They they just go hand in hand. And, and I'm sure there are some people who would just call themselves a horror fan who like their top five favorite horror movies would all be slashers. Yeah. 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 And slashers, too. It's like I feel as I'm diving in this subgenre more is like you have the cream of the crop. You have your your Halloweens, you have your Nightmare on Elm Streets, and then you get to a point where it's just like a lot of the same mm-hmm. is the thing. You you even get you get the mid level ones where you're like okay, like like prom night where you're like prom this night. Is, this is fun. It's not great, yeah, but it's fun. My bloody Valentine see, is one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see why these other ones did better, and yeah. then you get to the ones that are just like okay, this is just a complete ripoff of Halloween. Yeah. All right, got it. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's a complete ripoff of of uh, of Nightmare. It's like I, I talk, we talked about, which I actually like this movie. You talked about how like everyone's trying to find a character like a Freddy or like a Michael Myers. And like I think of actually Wes Craven because Craven, I know, did Nightmare on Elm Street and created Freddy Krueger. And because of the rights issues with that, he didn't get the rights of Freddy. That went to the new line, who was the studio that released it. And then he spent a, like he spent several years with like trying to make Shocker, which was mm-hmm. a movie that was essentially Freddy Krueger, but not Freddy Krueger. But he owned the full rights to it, so he was trying to make his basically his own version that's an offshoot of Freddy, but it's Shocker, who's like a guy who is uh, an inmate who's on death row who gets electrocuted but because of something that happens he ends up basically you can like come into your dreams it's basically freddy in a way um but still different enough where you can't get sued but he was hoping that that would hit like freddy did and he can make money off of what he missed out on nightmare on elm street so it's like everyone was always trying to create that kind of version of it and then you kind of get into the 
the the 90s where it kind of changes a little bit with scream and you have mm-hmm. the kind of intentionally campy or intentionally meta type version of it and then it just yeah. becomes itself again like it can, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and then it starts getting like bad knockoffs I, I do i do like probably my favorite of the like scream knockoffs is urban legends um which i which i do enjoy i had to watch but, it because uh, you found out i actually watched the second one he was like you should watch this because it's about a film school yeah i've, I've actually i've never seen yeah, the yeah. second one i did watch the third one recently thinking that it was the second one and it was not the second. it was not good <laughs> but the, the the first one is good mm-hmm. and um and then you get the like what i call the rob zombie era but i'm probably it's not fair to just attribute it to rob zombie but it feels like it is with the like gritty remake era of the two, late yeah. 2000s yeah early 2010s yeah you had that like it was it was well hey that's also just film at that point where like everything was becoming more serious if it yes. was like the dark if it was batman begins or if it was bond everyone mm-hmm. wanted in that post 9 11 world to be more serious you couldn't be jokey so you had those things like zombies halloween or uh the the nightmare on elm street with jackie earl haley where it was like super yeah there was no wisecracking freddy it was like he yeah. he is a child molester he is he is a terrible human being or whatever there's no there's no comedic effect to it um but you had that like second cycle of we're remaking every horror film that you grew up with the 80s house of wax with paris yeah. hilton texas chainsaw multiple remake. times next chainsaw hills have eyes remake prom night remake like Ugh. <laughs> oh, okay well that that brings me to something that is very important about the genre okay. that i'm sure we'll talk about mm-hmm. a lot this month is that a lot of slashers at their hearts a lot of people forget this that a lot of slashers at their at their hearts are murder mysteries they can um, be yes they can be yes and it's and it's easy to forget that the first friday the 13th was a mystery uh the f- nightmare on elm street we talked about this last year when we did west craven you don't know who this person is until until it is uncovered yeah who freddie is and what the parents did to him um you know i guess i guess michael is really the only one that's not uh, of that of those like iconic yeah eras but but the black christmas is a mystery and <laughs> spoiler alert you don't find out the answer um but that's that's i was i not long ago put on the prom night reboot and the first prom night is a murder mystery. Who is this killer? Why are they doing this? Yeah. You, you've got suspects set up. And then the the prom night remake is like literally opens with like this guy's <laughs> the killer and he just got out of prison and he's yeah. coming. And it's such a like it's such a later Friday the 13th like Halloween kind of knockoff more where it's like you should be afraid of this guy and he is an unstoppable force mm-hmm. and he is on the way. But like so many of those slashers and and the the giallo films in Italy, which we'll talk a little bit about as well, um, they were murder mysteries. And so I think that's that's something that Scream kind of brought back to the franchise and brought back really well. It's like that's the the Scream franchise are mysteries and are extremely well done mysteries. There was one uh, happy birthday to me, which is kind of like a, a predecessor to Scream where it's like on a college campus and you're trying to find out who this killer is at these after these it's either college or high school of these kids who are being killed um yeah, there is some there's some sort of mystery or some sort of lore that must mm-hmm. be explored um yeah. i think one that does it the wrong way is actually the remake of when a stranger calls where i think that one like has a killer but it's just so like 
not important of who it is. It's just like it, they're there. Um, so there's no lore or anything behind it. You know, the the second remake of Black Christmas goes a little too deep into the into the lore side as well. Um, oh, yeah, the more recent one, yeah, 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 yeah. The first remake is is falls into that first trap of like this is the killer and he just got out of prison and he's yeah. coming. Like, um, a, a, a more recent one that did kind of the mystery, I think, really well was was Happy Death Day. Um, yeah, that one that one had a good like who's doing this i gotta follow the clues and figure out um who this is but but that's that's something yeah it's not a it's not a must-have for the genre obviously because halloween has never been that way but um but it is something that i like out of the genre and i think a lot of people forget is like pretty important to a lot of the major movies within the genre yeah you have to you have to up the lore in some way as you go and you have to kind of because with any killer it's until jason ends up in space eventually jason x i think that was the first jason movie i saw by the way i gotta be real and it was on cable and i watched jason x because again i didn't watch horror films growing up so uh it was on cable. I was like sure i'll watch this um but yeah so we'll talk a lot about slashers and we're again we're trying to discover stuff about the genre as we go and i feel like the movies we picked for this month it's a, it's an eclectic group Mm-hmm. of movies it's not your typical i mean we've talked about craven before with nightmare on elm street and scream back and i think two years ago now so go back and listen to that if you can um but this month we're picking kind of the early forms of it mm-hmm. um with today's movie and then with we'll talk about next week and then we'll have kind of the prime the beginning of the big boom with texas chainsaw massacre mm-hmm. um and then a more modern thing so it's, it's kind of a lot of different versions of the of the slasher genre yeah. And we'll be referencing other movies as well as we go on, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But today, we're kind of talking about the movie that people consider the kind of granddaddy of the, of the slasher genre, and that is Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. And so, just for those who haven't seen it before, there will be spoilers <laughs> if you guys have yes. not seen Psycho. It's always surprising for people, people who have not seen this movie, um, mm-hmm. which is fine. Come at your own pace is what I have to say. I think it's more surprising people who have not seen this movie and have somehow managed to avoid yes. spoilers in general pop culture for their entire lives. Yes. That's what I I don't fault you if you've never seen Psycho, but I'm legitimately interested how you've made it through your life without knowing what the twist yeah. in Psycho it's like is. I have friends who don't know the twist of Sixth Sense, which I find just <laughs> insane. Honestly, good for you. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> wild. I'd be, I'd, I would love to watch Sixth Sense i mean i was like eight and i had it spoiled for me before yeah. i saw oh yeah it was, it was that was that was the big thing like the, you just because of the the trailer and everything like that it was spoiled pretty early for me too um so yeah with psycho if if you have not seen it um it's currently showing on peacock for those who have not seen it or you just want to watch it go back go and watch it on peacock but psycho directed by alfred hitchcock uh written by joseph stefano and based on a book by robert block Stars Anthony Perkins, Vera Miles, John Gavin, Martin Balsam, Janet Leigh. Um, should have said Janet Leigh first, but it's okay. Janet Leigh, the big, kind of the big star of the movie. Martin Balsam, two months in a row. I know. Let's go. Also, John Gavin, apparently uncredited appearance in 12 Angry Men. He's in. He, uncredited he, in yeah, 12 Angry Men. He's like either in like a court, one of the part of the courtroom section or the ending when they're walking out is like just an extra. Huh. It's very odd. Um, but yeah, so the plot of Psycho. Uh, it's about Marion Crane, played by Janet Lee, who is kind of in a rut in her life, I guess, financially. She's 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 having a, a long distance relationship with 
Sam Loomis, played by John Gavin. And Sam Loomis is divorced, in debt, needs money. And Marion Crane sees an opportunity at her job to steal $40,000 from this kind of cowboy man who's kind of Western dude who's buying a house for his daughter for her wedding. And Marion Crane decides to take that money, go away in hopes of kind of helping her uh, possible future husband out of his debts. While she's running away and she's contemplating her decisions, she arrives at a place called the Bates Motel in, I think it's California is where, or, or no, it's in, mm-hmm. it's, it's cause, cause there, there's a long distance relationship between Sam and, and Marion. She's, she's on her way to California, right? Yeah, from to see Sam. Phoenix. Yeah. From Phoenix to see Sam, because I read that the, I think in the book or something that Sam and Marion met on a cruise is what it was. And that's why mm. there's a long distance relationship between the two. So never, never knew. So they're always meeting in hotels. Um, so she's going to see Sam, meet up with him, give him the money on her way there. She goes to the Bates motel, stop stops one night. And she meets a man by the name of Norman Bates who runs the motel and who owns it. He had, he's been there for most of his life, lived there with his mom. And his mom is an older kind of ill woman who lives in the, in the house above the motel. And then something happens and we'll dive into that more as we go. Um, so what is your history with psycho Thomas? Uh, I think the first time I saw psycho was in my first, uh, college film class, uh, which was when I was still in high school. I took a, uh, course at the local tech school a, mm-hmm. a, a night. I was just like that curious about film. I took, I was a high school student taking a night course mm-hmm. in film at the local tech school. Um, but this was like one of the first ones we watched, which I, it really is. It's such a good intro to kind of studying film critically because it seems so simple on the surface. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, and that's, that's, you know, that's the beauty of Hitchcock. That's why the French loved him. It seems so simple on the surface. And then the more and more you dive into it, the more you're like, Oh my God, this guy is pulling strings everywhere. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, I think that was the first time I saw it. And then I picked it to write, like we, we had this kind of like at the end of every semester in that class, it would be like, Hey, pick one of the movies we watched and like write on one of the scenes and like break it down or something. So I picked, I picked it and it, that turned into me watching it like five times in that class. And then I took a Hitchcock class when I, once I actually got to college, watched it in there, wrote about it in that class. And it just became my, like, I just like picked and pulled it apart multiple times in college classes to the point where I know this movie completely backwards and forwards um, in the best way. It's probably not my favorite Hitchcock film, but <laughs> I mean, I still love it. I yeah. still absolutely love it. It, um, it is mine to tip my hand early. Uh, no, you, you wrote a, Emory, you wrote a good article for, our, I think it was a paper initially for one of your classes, but you wrote an article for our, our publication back in the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a Hitchcock's ghost. Yeah. Like- yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 like Hitchcock never has a supernatural element, but he does get him. He does get very interested in the way like people's memories linger and yes. influence the, the, the people who are left behind. Yeah. And how, how yeah, people who have passed away somehow still haunt a character in some way. And that's very apparent here as we discuss more about Norman Bates and his mother, who again, spoiler alert is dead, but he does not think so. Yeah. My history. I think I watched this in high school um for the first time i think it was my first intro into hitchcock 
and kind of was floored by the movie. And it's probably one I've seen the most of his catalog. It's it's been like it's it's, it's kind of an easy watch. We, we'll talk more about that as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's one I, I watched again not long ago. The New Art did a uh, in L.A. did a, a a Hitchcock series, and so I watched it for the big screen for the first time. And it's just a it's such a fascinating film because he's doing something interesting with genre in it. It's it's like you're and also it's the context of, of when the movie's coming out. And I'll, mm-hmm. again, I'll talk more about this as we go. But like Eddie Muller on TCM, he's talked about this before of how like Psycho is kind of this like shutting of the door on film noir. Mm-hmm. because Psycho has a lot of attributes and elements of a noir film. It's mm-hmm. the bag of money. It's the femme, kind of femme fatale. It's the... But also, like, the, the innocent the innocent person, like, pushed to the edge. Yes. You know, that's... We, we talked a lot in our film noir, like, about the innocent man, yeah. and, and Marion is the innocent man in this one. Yeah. She's, she's normally would not steal money, but the situation just, like, finally calls for it. Yeah, and it's, like, again, you have also her elements of, like, a femme fatale with her of, of like, the goes from the white bra to the black bra, and she's, she's mm-hmm. gone evil, and she's stealing the money. And then you throw in even the private investigator, the detective that Ma- Martin Balsam plays, where he's just investigating, where, like, in a film noir, you could see a Marion Crane stealing money, winding up at this motel, maybe falling in love with the guy who's there and he hides her out. Yeah. Or seducing him to protect her, which is, which is Arbogast's theory. Theory. But then you have Norman Bates Mm -hmm. and he's the variable because Mm -hmm. he's not in a film noir. No. And that's, what's so interesting when watching the movie, because you see everyone's in a different movie than Norman Bates. And yes, Norman yes. has just been thrown into this unaware of the $40,000, unaware of the love affair of Sam Loomis and Marion Crane, unaware of the text or the, the, the rancher oil guy or whatever, who, whose money it is. He is unaware of all of that. Mm-hmm. And he play and Anthony Perkins plays it so well. Yeah. We, we talked, we talked a little bit last month about it with the, um the anatomy of a murder mm-hmm. episode about how kind of, bizarre it is to see these like someone like ben Cazera who's coming up and is a like a 1960s actor he's coming up through the new york theater scene which birthed all the kind of greats of the 60s and and to see him kind of up against jimmy stewart really shows you how stark the difference is in acting from that like 40s and 50s into the 60s and and that's every time i watch this movie i'm like everyone else is doing like classical hollywood acting in this movie and Anthony Perkins is the sixties. Like Anthony Perkins is, is bringing in the new style. Uh, and, and that's why that scene in the, in the salon with the two of them is like insane. That's oh, yeah. that, well, showing my hand for favorite scenes. We'll but, that, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That's what we'll, we'll discuss that more, but yeah, but that's the, that's the context of the film. Uh, and it's kind of, it's a game changer is, is the thing. Um, uh, so let's dive into history of how this movie got into production uh, I apologize for my voice. I'm getting over COVID. So took two and a half years, finally happened. And we're getting through this, guys. So so stick with me. So I love a good filmmaker at a crossroads story. <laughs> and possibly one of the best of all time is Alfred Hitchcock when he found himself at a creative crossroads in 1959. 
For the latter part of the 1950s, Hitchcock was making lavish mystery thrillers for Paramount Pictures and other studios. And after the critical failure of Vertigo and the grueling process of making North by Northwest, Hitchcock was disillusioned, was becoming disillusioned with the process. He had two projects he was working on at the time that were similar in vain to those previous films. One was called Flamingo Feather, I believe, which is a big budget South African adventure film that was supposed to star Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly at one point. And Hmm. that kind of fell through. And the one that was the closest to being made was called No Bail for the Judge, which was a thriller starring Audrey Hepburn. So, Hmm. uh, so besides the process of dealing with studio politics, Hitchcock was actually becoming annoyed by movie stars, specifically their high salaries and their demands. <laughs> and Hepburn, um, the reason why that fell through is that Hepburn got pregnant and had to back out of the project. And so he just didn't like dealing, but because the movie was so uh, attached to her, he couldn't do the movie without her, basically. And he wanted to do something else that was like pretty much he was in control over. And he was also watching other filmmakers who he thought were inferior to him, having more success in the genres that he had been known for throughout his career. So he watched filmmakers like William Castle make inexpensive B-movie horror films and turn them into big box office successes. Um, another film that caught his eye was Diabolic or Diabolique by the French mm-hmm. filmmaker Henry Georges Clissout. I apologize if I'm butchering these names. Um, Hitchcock had attempted to buy the novel rights Diabolique, but Clouseau beat him by a few hours to get the rights to it, eventually turning it into a critical and financial success in 1955. Hitchcock watched as these low-budget indie horror films flooded the market that was happening at the end of the 1950s. We talked about that kind of last week, or last month with the Abbey Murder and with Prosecution. There was this big rise of indie productions through these certain filmmakers. And Hitchcock wondered... What if a master filmmaker, he was very thought highly of himself, uh, a master filmmaker like himself tackled an inexpensive black and white horror film? And that's when he began searching for a property property that would fit this idea. So one day, Hitchcock's longtime assistant and uncredited producer for a lot of his stuff, Peggy Robertson, read a positive review in the New York Times that piqued her interest. And it was a review for Robert Block's novel, Psycho. And Robertson obtained the book and soon found out the readers at Paramount Pictures who read the scripts and read the books for possible IP, they they rejected the book early on, finding it repulsive because of its its content. Uh, Hitchcock, however, would secretly buy the book rights for Block's novel for $9,500, which is the equivalent of $95,000 today. From what I can tell, Block was unaware that it was Hitchcock who was buying the rights, uh, because if he had known, he probably could have gotten more money for it. Mm-hmm. Once Hitchcock bought the rights, he got his assistant Peggy Robertson to go buy up as many psycho books as possible to make sure no one found out what happened in the book. Don't read the book. Don't read the book. I don't want you to read the book. Adaptation's going to be better. Am I am I stepping on on uh, any of your trivia if I talk real quick about the background of the book? No, you can. No, go ahead. I just think it's I just think it's wild that so so the book was inspired by Ed Gein who also inspired the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films and also inspired the character of Buffalo Bill in, in Science of the Lambs. Uh, I mean, this dude has literally, his actions inspired three major horror pictures, and he technically was not a serial killer. I think it's like he killed uh, two people is what I read. Yeah, yeah. 
I think only one. I think he only killed one. But it was uh, may, he might he might have killed his brother. Okay. They're not sure. His brother disappeared and died in a fire in the on their farm. Uh-huh. Um, but he did he did shoot one woman. But he he was a, a grave robber primarily. Um, but uh, but yeah, I just think that that's crazy. This like so much pop culture has come from you know it's obviously this story that just like completely captured people's imaginations when it happened. But um, and it, yeah, and and then and then inspired movies that essentially uh, created certain genres or defined the genres in a way. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So Hitchcock would take the book to Paramount, and they were still not fans of this property. They're like, Hitch, can you just make another big budget like thriller for yeah. us? Like, yeah, we like North by Northwest. Yeah, it, was, this, it was fun. Yeah, it was a fun little spot. Like, I'd, I'd heard that people want him to make Casino Royale, like a James Bond movie. Like, I think certain people have talked about that, and he was like, I already did that with North by Northwest. Um. Mm-hmm. But they, but basically, Paramount refused to give him a big budget to make a horror film like Psycho. So Hitchcock countered them by saying he would shoot the film in black and white and use his television crew from his popular Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV show. Um, they said, we still can't do it. We don't have enough studio space for this movie. He's like, cool. I'll just finance the film myself and go shoot it at Universal Studios, which is where his TV show was at the time. And you guys just dist- distribute the movie, basically. You guys release the movie. Um, he also agreed uh, to not take his $250,000 directing fee, instead agreeing to only take 60% of the film's box office grosses. Mm. So basically, Hitchcock says, look, you guys don't have to pay for anything. Just give me 60% of nothing. Cause, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to bet big on the back they were end. Like, we don't Because basically, Paramount's like, you know what? Sure, this movie's yeah. not making any money. Hold that for later. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a I mean, you know, that's a it's a risky move. But yeah. if you are if you're sure of what you're making, that's a that's a good bet. It's a good to make. bet. Uh, it's a good bet. That's why a lot of people nowadays. I don't know. I don't know now, but I know in like the 2000s and 2010s, you had big actors like Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, basically turning down money up front for the box office points. Yeah, because yeah. that's I where mean, the money Cruz, came from. Cruz uh, notably still does it, but yes. I don't think anybody else does it anymore. It's hard to do nowadays. You don't get you don't get many points if it goes to streaming. Exactly. <laughs> well, that was that was the whole deal with um, Black Widow, right? With Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> was that she was supposed to make a lot on the back end, and, and they were like, "Oh, pandemic! We got to push yeah. it to streaming." And and sorry, your contract didn't have anything about a global pandemic in it. Yeah, and even HBO, like it was Warner that did the whole like extra um deals with certain filmmakers because of that mm-hmm. like with james gunn with peacemaker and stuff but um hitchcock would, be, would then begin to adapt the book for film and as we talked about during our mel brooks episode earlier this year hitchcock doesn't really write his scripts he mainly talks with the writer during their process and throws out his ideas and they go and kind of take them and write something so he first went to james p cavanaugh a writer for his tv show and he worked with him on a draft for the first part. Um, Hitchcock and his assistant, Peggy Robertson, found Kavanaugh's script to be dull and said it felt more like a TV episode more than a film. Hmm. And granted, it was Kavanaugh's first feature film that he was writing. He'd only done TV at that point. So Hitchcock would then go or let him go and go to another screenwriter, Joseph Stefano. I think it was his second screenplay at this point too. Um, And according to some sources that 
even though Kavanaugh was fired, certain elements from Kavanaugh's script wound up in the final film. Mainly, they like the stolen money se- sections, the the road trip section from Marion, and some of the dialogue between Marion and Norman in the lounge sequence. Um, so Stefano started writing the script, or he he started thinking about writing the script because after he read the book, he was not a fan of the book. Specifically, he was not a fan of Norman Bates. Um, as Thomas said, it was inspired by Ed Gein. And in the book, Norman Bates was not the young, skinny boy next door character that Anthony Perkins is. He was an overweight, alcoholic, middle-aged man who was into the occult and collecting pornographic materials. Hmm. So Stefano found this character to be like Charming. absolutely unsympathetic. How can you have an audience follow this character? And he became more interested when Hitchcock suggested cast suggested casting young rising acting star Anthony Perkins. He was like, well, that's not the character I thought was going to be in this movie. Um, and so Stefano took Hitchcock's notes and began to focus on the script more about Norman's character and also Marion's character because Hitchcock wanted to focus more on Marion in the beginning of the movie and not Norman. Mm-hmm. And basically they had they add the whole section of the opening sequence between her and Sam Loomis um, and kind of that whole thing of stealing the money. Um, Stefano also took a lot from his therapy sessions he was having at the time because he was dealing with childhood issues about his mother. And that came into play with uh, inspiring Norman's relationship with his mother. And so backtrack on the name drop that Hitchcock said to Stefano. Let's talk about Anthony Perkins. Now today, Perkins is mostly known for his performance as Norman Bates in Psycho. So it's important to provide context around his career at this point. Like Thomas said, he was like this rising actor out of the New York scene. He was a big theater guy, but he was starting to become a big star in movies. In 1956, in only his second film role, Perkins would receive an an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor for his performance in Friendly Persuasion, starring alongside Gary Cooper. And then from 1957 to 1959, Perkins would star in eight movies, also in a popular Broadway play, Look Look Homeward Angel, which garnered him a Tony nomination for Best Actor. So he was like, people were comparing him to James Dean at this point in time. Mm. He was the next big thing. And he was becoming this matinee idol for Paramount, and he was becoming a, a sex symbol for teen audiences. And Perkins, however was looking for something more creatively because Paramount was so keen on protecting his image as a sex symbol. And it was becoming known within Hollywood circles that Perkins's sexuality was, was being, being questioned. And so mm. Perkins from sources now he was either gay or bisexual um, and Paramount was trying to make him appear more masculine, which resulted and him losing out on several big time roles that he wanted. Apparently he lost out on West side story um, to be Tony and the lead role of that. Oh, wow. Um, and he also specifically lost out on some like it hot because Paramount didn't want their big sex symbol to be in a dress for the entire movie, which I find funny that he is in psycho. Yes. So the part that he was supposed to play in some like it hot went to, Tony Curtis. And speaking of Tony mm. Curtis, Alfred Hitchcock would then cast his wife, popular actress Janet Lee, in the other role of Marion Crane. 
And Lee had been working in Hollywood since the late 1940s. And by the end of the 50s, she had garnered a reputation as, was Hollywood, as one of Hollywood's most popular actresses. She'd done several movies with Tony Curtis, like four or five films at this point. And she had been under contract with Paramount since 1953. Um, according to Hitchcock, when talking to Francois Truffaut in, his, in the book Hitchcock Truffaut, Lee owed Paramount one more movie. And that movie would be Psycho. And Lee agreed to star in the movie after only reading the novel and basically did not care about pay whatsoever. Um, she basically took the movie for $25,000, which was a fourth of her usual rate. But she was so keen on working with Hitchcock um, for the film. So the leads were cast. The script was pretty much done. And we move into production. So Thomas, what is one of your favorite scenes in this movie? One I do love, I got to throw it out and, and shout out to uh, Bernard Herman, the composer, is the the like driving, yeah, uh, through the rain, and you get the dun, 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 and all the that's like, still the fates, Thomas, that you just did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we always said the greats borrow, um, but uh, and she's got that like, it's like, is it hypothetical? Like what all these yeah. voices going through her head of like what's what's going to happen? What's going to happen when she shows up? to her boyfriend's house what's going to happen when her boss figures out the money's gone yeah. and 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 it's kind of like you, you can't really read what's going on she smirks a little bit mm -hmm. it's like is she she's feeling guilty is she scared what's going on but um the the absolute greatest scene in this movie and the one that i have rewatched more times than anything else is the two of them yeah. in the parlor yeah it's it's when this movie that has been it's you know the the score everything has been pushing 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 she's been on the run for you know the first 30 minutes of this movie she's constantly looking over his shoulder she can't she can't you know take more than 10 minutes to buy a car because there's a cop across the street yeah and then she, she just and then we just sit in this room with them for like 12 minutes i mean it's, it's, it's a, a long, long scene. scene and 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 you you know if you're watching this for the first time you're just like what is going on what is why is she talking so long to this guy that she just stopped at his motel yeah. <laughs> what does any of this matter and and Perkins is great and she's you know she's it's she's so good at doing this kind of like at first being like oh, okay I'm just being nice to you you kind of weird me out a little bit yeah. and then and then she and then she kind of gets more into the conversation and she obviously kind of starts to feel sorry for him yeah and 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 you know they get they get there's there's all this bird imagery in this movie and and um you know, Marion Crane. Yeah. And coming from Phoenix, Arizona, and, you know, <laughs> but, um, but the, you know, they get into that conversation about, about feeling like a bird in a cage yeah. and, and he's got that like, Oh, I don't mind it so much, you know? And, and it's, there's just so you can, you can pick apart the, all the entire dialogue from that scene. And it is, it is so well written and so well performed and so well shot. You've got these like, you know, at a certain point in the scene, he goes Hitchcock goes low and looks up. So he's got this like oh, yeah. all of a sudden he's talking about how overbearing his mom is. And then all of a sudden we cut back to him and he's got this owl just like over his shoulder. Over yeah. Him. yeah. And then, yeah, yeah it, it's, and he had the shot like it's the side view of his face, which they, he mm -hmm. he doesn't do for Marion Crane. It's just for mm -hmm. Norman. And that's again where like you're watching that scene where like you're when we talked about earlier about how like Norman's in a whole different movie. And mm -hmm. when you watch it, I, I mean, watch it over again after seeing the movie, you start to see 
how he's in a different movie. Like mm-hmm. his conversation is he's thinking about other things. It feels like, and you know what Marion Crane's thinking about, and they're just on different wavelengths, but somehow I, I, I almost feel like Lee and Perkins don't get enough credit for this movie sometimes, because I think the movie hinges on that scene between mm-hmm. the two, because if that scene doesn't work, the transition from Marion's point of view to Norman's point of view doesn't work. Yes. Yeah. If if they had stuck with kind of that the the book version of Norman, because because like we through that scene and through Perkins' performance, we feel sorry for him. Yes. Marion feels sorry for him, and we feel sorry for him to the point where like you know he peeps on her you know right after yeah. that scene and we're we're, we're still just kind of like oh this guy i mean he's pathetic but like he's not he's still not like threatening and i mean that's perkins that's his body language that's 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 everything about this character and um uh and so we're like i i feel sorry for this guy and like maybe he doesn't he's obviously uncomfortable around women and like it's obviously very uncomfortable that he has a peephole in his in his room but um but you're still like, oh, it's this, it's this mom and the the, the circumstances of it's being yeah. raved. Yeah, he's trapped. He's got this great, he's got this great moment where he's got that line where he's like, it's like sometimes I just wish I could go up there and just curse her out and yeah. like the way he like his puts hands. his hand up is like yeah. so not threatening. No. You know, it's yeah. like he, he's 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 yeah, it's it's yeah, it, this that scene is fantastic. Everyone involved in it is so good. It's shot perfectly it's it's performed perfectly but yeah perkins is he, he you know he's he's lanky he's uncomfortable in his body which is all stuff that once we find out what's going on is very creepy like obviously he's uncomfortable in his body because he's only like he, he only he's only in his body for like half the time um but at the time we're just like oh man this poor kid like and and yeah. you feel sorry for him and then turn you also kind of you feel for marion because marion sees in him kind of like i don't know she she gains a conscience of like what she's done is that she's yeah, stolen exactly. the money and because of i think of norman's point of view on the world perspective on the world it causes her to change her perspective and exactly she's like, yeah he's 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 got this whole like we're we're just stuck in our lives and we just have to live our lot in life and she's like you know what i don't i'm not i'm, I'm, I'm not gonna choose that i'm gonna choose to not give myself to not be stuck because if i go and take this money then we're just going to be running we're run- forever yeah, exactly we're stuck and if i go back because i've I'll, I'll repay the money back of like what i've used so far and i'll just go back to my life and then that comes in to the shower scene where the shower scene can be oh. viewed as washing away the sins in yeah. a way she's smiling she's yeah. she, all of her guilt is gone it's all gone again we're in a noir film and we're seeing the noir character you know of like realize the error of their ways and they're going to fix it. And then bam, Mm -hmm. everything changes. That that's, that's, I think I said this on, on our uh, 200th episode. It's like, if I could like erase my mind and see a movie again, that's the one. Yeah. It would be this one. Cause when that door, I mean, you know, I, by the time I saw this, when I was like 15, I I had already seen that. you know, I'd watched so many like AF, if I count down some things like I had seen yeah. that scene so many times already, but I can't imagine sitting there in the theater and seeing that doorway open up. Like, yeah, it's, it's insane. And just the, the si- or the silence of it and just see, hearing the water 
and that's all you're hearing. And then it's just the the strings of Herman's score, the the shower curtain going away, like being pulled away, and it's like it's utter shock mm-hmm. if you don't know what's happening, and you're like, this is not the movie I thought this would be, mm-hmm. and then you're just. And then all of a sudden, you, you the twist still, like that happens, and then now you're with Norman, and you still kind of feel sorry for this guy now because he's like, I have mm-hmm. to care, I have to take care of what my mother. This is did. obviously something that has happened before. Because that, that his, guy would his, never do this, and he's done. And yeah, yeah, his yeah, his mother's done this before, and he's a good son. He just he cleans up after his mother. She's just sick. Um, but yeah, that's it's it, and you know what can what can we say that hasn't been said about the 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 shower scene, but the to to put yourself in that time period the editing itself was so violent yeah. that people you know there's that that famous story that like the studio was like and the and it was like you got to go back like someone got stabbed in that in yeah. that sequence Every- and hitchcock's like no no one gets stabbed and they're like it, it, they had to have gotten stabbed <laughs> the, the the knife had touched i think twice i think like twice you can see the knife kind of graze janet lee or the bi double they used in the movie mm-hmm. Um, but it's not what you, it's, it's not what you're thinking or not what you're seeing, but the, the editing's violent. The music is violent. Yeah. It is the just like effects. a complete, yeah. yeah, it's a complete assault on your senses. And, and it was really the first time anyone had ever done that. Yeah. And you just get, and again, two thinking of Hitchcock and we'll talk about this a little more, well, a little bit more is like why it was so different for him too, is that Hitchcock was known for, he's the long take guy. He plays mm-hmm. everything out in a wide. It's a long shot. It's not fast. And that cutting is so, again, like you said, thinking of seeing that in the, in the theater in 1960 and just seeing how violent and rapid that cutting is, it's going to make your mind think we're watching this person be brutally murdered, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's shocking. So that's what's, yeah. And, so, and even seeing it now, it's still like it holds up. That sequence holds up and it's cutting. And it's it's pace. And Mm -hmm. again, I think, again, like you said, the follow up after that is like seeing Norman. And I think Perkins's performance is great where he comes Mm -hmm. in and like you hear the yell from the from the house and he runs in. Oh, God. Blood. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, like, no, mother or whatever. And they 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 actually changed his voice. They took out the base of his voice in post, I think, to make it like a high pitched teenager yelling Mm. about his mom. And then, yeah, and then he just, he reacts to it and it becomes, okay, now I have to hide this. And mm-hmm. you know, he said, you realize by the way he acts, he has done this before. Mm-hmm. And then I know Hitchcock's idea was like when he goes and he kind of gets rid of the, the car in the swamp, you have to wonder how many more cars are in that swamp. Yeah. Because like you, he said before, we're off the beaten path. No one comes here. Unless they come here by accident. So no yeah. one's going to know where you're at. You know, he's, he's obviously still upset by it. And whether or not that's because, you know, he really like Marion touched something within him or he gets this upset every time it happens. Like, it's mm-hmm. not it's not like that scene in Clue when they just go from like room to room and they're like, oh, there's another body. Like, yeah, he's he's very obviously emotional about it. Yeah. But then he's like, I have to do this. Yeah. I, I, he obviously has experience with with cleaning up after mother before. Yeah. And then to go off Perkins, a scene I love too, um, is after that when Martin Balsam shows up, mm-hmm. and Perkins is is again 
covering everything up. Yeah. And again, that's when you're seeing these two characters in two different movies. Yeah. And that's, that's the first time we get any kind of negative energy from Norman. Yes. Is, is when, and you know, there's, there's obviously some sort of deep seated, like, mistrust of other men uh mm-hmm. going on there but like that that it, it is it is when you're when you're watching it for the first time you're like oh norman's getting a little norman's getting a little feisty here yeah and there's a what i love about that scene too and you see a little bit in the marion scene too but more so in the scene with arbogast you're starting to see it break you're starting to mm-hmm. see him break where at the very end of that scene you almost feel like because he has a smile, I think, when Martin Balsam leaves. And that mm-hmm. almost feels more like Mother than Norman. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like Mother is slowly trying to break out in some way, if you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I love the, again, talk about the camera angles. I love just how um, unsettling the camera is when Norman is looking over the uh, registry or whatever. Mm-hmm. When, when Arbogast is looking at it. And it's this like weird side shot where it's like Norman's like sideways and you're on his throat and he's eating that candy corn and you're watching his mind try to think of what to do and how to cover this up. And he's trying to play dumb and Perkins just plays it perfectly in that scene. The way he, uh, way he snacks on that candy corn is very uh, bird-like, wouldn't you say? It is. And so I'll say that now. That was Perkins. That was not Hitchcock. That was a Perkins ad because for some reason, Hitchcock was actually was more open to improvisation on this scene, on this movie than more than any of his other movies. And so hmm. Perkins added the eating the candy corn. And yeah. He eats like a bird. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing that kind of comes into play with the bird. Stuff. Yeah, which is something he says to her in the uh... Eat like a bird, very small bites yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I think Martin Balsam's great in that, in that scene where he's again, picking apart what Norman's saying like, Oh, well, like you said that this couple came a few weeks ago, but you said no one else has been here in months or whatever. Um, but I all, I love all that. Yeah. And it's like, like you said, it's like once the body's gone, we're right back in a noir film. Yeah, again. we are. You know, it's, we've got this detective. He's trying to solve a mystery. And, and that's why it, it, when we get, when he gets killed, it's, it's really shocking again. Yeah. It's like, Oh, we're back in a, we're back in a, in a horror, in a horror film. film. And like, I love that moment where like, I didn't know still this time was that, when he go when Balsam shows back up to the motel and he goes into the lounge, he sees the safe is open, and so mm. he's thinking, "Oh, this is where he hid the money." He, yeah. When I came, he took the money away and hid it elsewhere where Marion's at or whatever. And yeah, he's in a noir film, and it's just like again, like I said, yeah, okay. I just got to go talk to the old lady. She's what's yeah. going to happen to me? <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to find out what she knows, and she's probably the one hiding Marion or something. And then again, it's like, and I think even that sh- that sequence is is well well done, where it's the the overhead shot of that's terrifying. It is because it's just walk, her, it her comes just walking out of into nowhere. frame. Yeah, she, she she you've got this, and it, it, it's like you said, it's Hitchcock with the like big open frame and mm-hmm. let it sit. It's the exact opposite effect, at, although the strings are still still there. You know what sells it, but yeah, it's like you've got this big open frame. It's like, yeah, there's nothing scary going on. Look at this. Like, how can we get scared? Nothing's going to jump out of us in this frame. And then she walks in through like the top of the frame. It's insane. Yeah. And, it's, and it's so it's jarring because like you said, it's an empty frame. And because the movement of her is so or of of, of mother is so rapid, it's it's so jarring. And it's, it again it comes out of nowhere and it shows like, you can you can have a shock in a wide shot. It doesn't have to be a close up or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And then you have the, 
the 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 un, the unsettling effect of when he's falling down the stairs. Oh, wow, yeah. Which is like crazy to see nowadays. Like the vertigo, the vertigo shot, but like yeah. even crazier. But the way it's it's like he has blood down his face, like he's been stabbed in the face. It looks like it's mm-hmm. it's very it's very grotesque, I guess, or gory for the time. Um, and yeah, and so so that those are the big scenes. I feel like I feel like we could do we could do just a whole thing on those sections. Um, are there any other scenes you want to talk about? Um, I mean, I, I think the end, not, not the end end. We can talk about that later. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the, but the, you know, running into the house and, and like running from, you know, I think when, when we, when we really, um, when we really become like, oh, something's going like when Norman, the way that Norman treats, um, what's the boyfriend's name? Oh, Uh, Sam Loomis. Sam Loomis. Sam, Sam Loomis. Uh, the way that that norman treats loomis is when we're like okay something's something's going on here yeah <laughs> like, he's he's getting pretty aggressive yes and um but but you know Marion's sister kind of running through the house and 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 still you know it's like it's 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 something i can't i just can't place myself in in there being like completely innocent yeah but for her you know when she's running around looking for the mom and she gets up to the bedroom and like the the bed is sunken in and it's just like, what is going on here? Yeah. And then to, f- to find the mom in the basement and then the reveal is just like, what, what would that be like to see it fresh? Yeah. In the theater. Yeah. With the light he- swinging back and forth and the screen. Yeah, and, 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 you know, for so much, so much of the mystery has been like, we just have to find the mom. The mom. Mrs. Bates is going to like settle everything. And, and then, and then that turnaround and then and then that's the steps the coming down right after she screams yeah. it's terrifying it is and it's a shocking image when you see it i also kind of like i like janet lee in the earlier part of the movie too we didn't talk about that much but like you said that the the when she's driving i don't love mm. john gavin that much but i like her in the scene in the opening john gavin's very very tv yeah <laughs> he yeah. feel he feels tv yeah we'll talk about that more but yeah he he's he's a little bit of the weaker parts of the movie do you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. You've never had an empty moment in your entire life, have you? Only my share. Where are you going? I didn't mean to pry. I'm looking for a private island. What are you running away from? Why do you ask that? No. People never run away from anything. The rain didn't last long, did it? You know what I think? I think that we're all in our private traps, clamped in them, and none of us can ever get out. So, moving on to onset life. So production for the film would begin on November 11th, 1959 at Review Studios. Review was actually the back lot at Universal Studios, but it yeah. actually wasn't owned by Universal until a few years later, apparently. Um, but Hitchcock had moved his office to Universal because the TV show and he was shooting on the lot at Review. So on the first day of filming, Hitchcock had the entire cast and crew raise their hands and swear they would not divulge a single word of what happens in Psycho. Apparently, I also heard that he might have not shown the script, the ending of this movie, 
to everyone until they actually shot it. Well, that's where Feige gets it from. Yeah. And Billy Wilder, both Wilder and Hitchcock did the same exact thing where they hid mm -hmm. the true ending of the movie. Um, I believe the first thing they shot or one of the first things they shot was when Marion is found in the car by a police officer after falling asleep in her car. Um, mm -hmm. Besides the shots of Marion on in her car on the highway and the projection background, everyone was shot backgrounds. Everything was shot on the back lot for the film. The projection backgrounds were done, I believe, by Hilton A. Green, who was Hitchcock's assistant director, who had went out and scouted locations in Phoenix and got all the footage for the film's opening aerial shot of the movie and also the, the all the projection backgrounds. Uh, when they were shooting in downtown Phoenix, they got shots of the city done up in Christmas decorations because they were shooting in November and December. And that's why the movie actually takes place around Christmas time was because they just happened to get shots being at Christmas. Hmm. So that's why the subtitle has December 11th at the beginning of the movie. Um, it seems filming was rather by the book for Hitchcock. They would wrap every day by 6 p.m. Uh, okay. Even earlier on Thursdays, because that's was that was when him and his wife went to Chasen's, this famous restaurant in L.A. So apparently you didn't miss date night in the Hitchcock household. <laughs> Um, and Hitchcock was known for being very controlling of his actors. Uh, but like I said earlier, it was a different approach for him on Psycho. He allowed Janet Lee and Anthony Perkins to improvise as much as they wanted to, as wow. long as it didn't force him to move the camera. <laughs> Again, like I said, the candy corn was one of the big, big contributions Perkins made. But then you, you, you kind of look back at that scene between Perkins and Lee, and you wonder how much of that is like, what they're bringing to this role and also the writing of it. Like it's very much, that's the perfect combination of everything in the movie. I feel like is that you get Hitchcock's direction, their performances and kind of their characterizations of these characters and the writing of it. It's all kind of there. So Hitchcock was also known for doing very few takes, but on psycho, he was forced to do more. Um, I said, one of them was the, the light bulb when she, when Mer when, uh, when Vera miles, uh, Lilla discovers the corpse. And there's also the long zoom out of Jantley's eye after she's been been killed. Apparently she kept blinking when yeah. they were pulling back because the water from the shower would hit her eye and it would cause her to blink. And also the, the cameraman would miss the focus pull when they would dolly when they would zoom out. Yeah. You know how hard it is to be like, Hey, don't blink. Like, come on. Yeah. How many times have you had a uh, stare contest? And it's just like, not just like don't blink, but don't blink and don't move and pretend and to be don't dead. Don't move your eye at all. That's yeah. a tough thing. Um, another scene that required a lot of lot of takes was the opening scene between Marion and Sam, mm -hmm. played by John Gavin. Uh, Hitchcock was apparently not a fan of Gavin's acting ability, and he constantly referred to him as the stiff. And they kept reshooting them those that scene or reshooting those takes because he didn't feel they were passionate enough. For that opening um, before casting Gavin, apparently Hitchcock looked at other actors like Cliff Robertson, Rod Taylor and Brian Keith. They might have all been better. I think Brian Keith might have been better. He'd been the best yeah, choice. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, at one point, Hitchcock did come down with a bad cold. I get that. I understand it. And he wasn't <laughs> able to shoot the murder of Arbogast. Um, so Hitchcock's assistant a director, Hilton Green, shot the scene I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard other sources, specifically 
the that Hitchcock movie that came out a few years ago with Anthony Hopkins about the mm-hmm. making of Psycho. Yeah, I think it had Alma, his wife, shoot the scene as well, which is also possible because she was a big creator and and kind of creative force in her own right and helped him mm-hmm. help Hitchcock out a lot on his movies even receiving credit on several of his screenplays like Stage Fright and Shadow of a Doubt. But Hitchcock would actually later reshoot that scene of Arbogast's murder because he felt like it was shot like it was a sinister man about to do something evil instead of an innocent man who was about to be killed. Um, there would be shots from the original shooting of that scene in the final movie, but it was uh, most of it was Hitchcock's. Uh, the scene, It was also difficult, that scene, because... They were doing their best not to reveal the identity of who Mother is, which is what forced him to shoot at such a high angle when mm-hmm. he comes out. They also had to create like a pulley system of some kind to create the effect of when Martin Balsam falls down the stairs. I think they like put the camera on a on a chair and pulled it pulled the pulley system back and forth to put the camera falling down the stairs, and they put Martin Balsam in front of a, of a screen and they projected that onto it. And he was just sitting in his chair, rocking back and forth for that effect. Hmm. So, and then briefly, let's talk about the shower scene because it's one of cinema's most favorite or famous, famous scenes. Um, But it's also been talked about at length, probably by other people, but I'll cover kind of the highlights. Um, One of the reasons why Hitchcock shot the film black and white, not just because it was inexpensive, but also because he knew this scene was going to be very gory and he wanted to hide the gore and blood as much as possible. Um, for the blood, Hitchcock famously used chocolate syrup. And for the knife sounds, they used the knife going into a melon, basically. Mm-hmm. Lee was only on set for three weeks for this film. And I believe one of those weeks was just for shooting this shower scene. Um, she actually postponed the scene twice during the film's production. Not because of being afraid of it, because of one, one time she had a cold and couldn't do it. And another time she was on her period and couldn't do it. And so she kept pushing it back. It ended up being shot between December 17th and December 23rd, finishing up right before Christmas break. Wow. Um, it's also famous for the amount of cuts and shots, reportedly using upwards of 78 shots and 52 cuts. Um, there's also rumors over the years that famed tile designer Saul Bass directed the scene because the sequence is fast cutting, which we said earlier mm-hmm. was not usual for Hitchcock. But that rumor has been debunked by people who were on set, including Janet Lee and the film's assistant director. So uh, I can also confirm having seen uh, uh, Saul Bass's Phase uh, Four. Phase Four, yeah. yeah. Love him, love him as a uh, love him as a designer. Not not the best director. The, yeah, the best director. It, that was a, that was an okay movie. wasn't great. <laughs> cool. Like it's. I remember you talked about this. Like that movie for a guy who is so so known for his great title sequences. That movie doesn't have a title sequence really at all in that film. It's weird. <laughs> Um, so filming would wrap on February 1st, 1960, nine days over schedule. The film's final budget would be $800,000, which would be about $8 million today. Um, wow. With production finished, Hitchcock and his team would move into post-production to see if his experiment worked. Now, I want to like just bring this into context. This would be like... Martin Scorsese or Spielberg being like, I'm going to go make an indie film. Yeah. That's what this is like. I think, I think the closest that we've gotten present day is like Soderbergh's like iPhone movies, but none of those have, have performed as well as As Psycho would end up performing. 
It's it's basically yeah. I'm gonna go make. I'm trying to think of what he did. It's like I don't know. I don't think let them talk was an iPhone. It's like basically let me go take. Uh, Unsane was Unsane was iPhone. But I was trying to think acting wise, like it basically saying like with let them talk. It's like let me go just go on a ship with Meryl Streep and make a movie. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. Um, but yeah, so that leads us into aftermath. So Hitchcock's longtime editor George Tomasina. I believe is how I pronounce his name, uh, put together a rough cut of the movie not long after production wrapped. And Hitchcock was not enthused by that product of the film. He felt that his experiment had failed. And at one point he planned on trimming the movie down to an hour in order to release it on his Alfred Hitchcock presents TV show. But he had not seen it with music to it. And that's when his longtime collaborator, Bernard Herman came in to, to do the score. So Herman had not agreed to lower his fee for the film's low budget, wanting to take his main fee, but he was not given enough money to build out an orchestra for the film. So because of that, he used a mostly string orchestra instead of a full symphonic orchestra, which is what Hitchcock wanted because he wanted a more jazz-like score for the movie. Hmm. Herman thought that the single tone of a string orchestra complimented the black and white cinematography of the film. Hitchcock was also adamant that he wanted the shower scene to have zero music in it. Herman fought back believing a score was necessary for the sequence. Once Herman added the famous music to the scene, Hitchcock realized that he was wrong and the score was needed. Um, Hitchcock would later double Herman's fee saying that 33% of Psycho's effect came from Herman's score. It's not he's not wrong. He didn't budge on his feet and then he got double. That's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I could see I could see maybe doing like a jazz score, like we were saying, like as it is a film noir and then and yeah. then kind of switching when it becomes horror, but I wouldn't I don't like you don't need a jazz score all the way through. No. No, you don't. It's like it's especially when it gets to that point. It's just it's not necessary. Um now they had a cut. Hitchcock had to deal with censors. And we talked about this previously on Anatomy of Murder. The production code was beginning to falter at this point. The cracks were in the cra- cracks were in the armor with this. Um, mm-hmm. And this movie had violence, it had sexual content, and it had suggestive language. Uh, the opening scene is one of Hollywood's biggest stars in a bra talking about a hotel tryst with an unmarried man. It is very apparent what has just happened in that scene when they come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the censors wanted this scene gone along with the shower scene uh, some of the censors believed that you saw Janet Lee's breast in the shower and they wanted that fully cut um, Hitchcock agreed that if he could keep the shower scene he would reshoot the opening with the censors in attendance so that they could give him advice on what they wanted for the scene <laughs> they planned a reshoot day with everyone there but the members of the production code board did not show up, resulting in the opening staying as it was. It seems after all this controversy around the editing of the film, Paramount did not want to put any effort into releasing the film. Their plan was to release it in only two theaters in New York City on June 16, 1960. Hitchcock decided that in order to drum up interest for the film, he needed to do something different. So, That's when he required the two theaters to not let anyone in the movie after it started. Now, Mm -hmm. there's a similar tactic 
that Clouset did for Diabolique a few years before in France, which is the movie that kind of somehow inspired all this for Hitchcock. Um, at this point in time, which is crazy to think, movie houses just let people buy tickets and they could walk in whenever they wanted to and stay as, stay as long as they wanted to. So there were no real set show times. You just kind of sh- right. showed up, came in, and you, would, you could literally watch a movie all day if you wanted to. It's almost like cruising through like channel surfing base where you come in like halfway through. Oh, I like this movie. I'll stay for the next first half of the next showing. Mm-hmm. So movie theaters were not fans of this idea. They didn't like the idea of sending customers away for the next screening. But once the film opened and it was a massive success, these theaters loved the idea of having long lines out the door, people waiting for the next movie. Yes. Um, some, something they would did, they did to make sure people made it into the theater was they had a countdown that played in the lobby, letting them know 10 minutes till psycho five minutes till psycho. <laughs> and essentially this movie made theaters adopt this full time. Yeah. This is what did it. And, 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 you know, there's, there's that kind of famous like cardboard cutout they would put up in yep. the lobby of, of Hitchcock doing the kind of shushing. And it was like, don't. Yep. Don't tell anyone what happens in Psycho. And then because of all that, Hitchcock and, and Psycho kind of get the credit for creating the like no spoiler yep. uh, uh, whole thing around film. Even though we talked last week about how uh, Witness for the Prosecution, like the, the trailer was like in the trailer. Yeah. Was like, Do not tell anyone about this movie. what happens in Witness for the Prosecution. Yeah, so, so the- but it was it was definitely around that time when people the, the idea of like going into something blind and being yes. surprised by it was really gaining a lot of traction, especially with filmmakers. I think they were being aware of like, like, yo, don't spoil because movies at that point, they traveled like they didn't open mm-hmm. in every city every day on every, on the same day. It went from, we, they opened, they started small and open wide as it went. So you don't want people talking about the ending of the movie before anyone gets a chance to see it. This is one yeah. reason why critics weren't allowed to see this movie before audiences did they hitchcock's like if you want to see it see it with an audience he did not want them to see it oh man can you imagine that today everybody would be on twitter like critics weren't allowed in the theater for psycho bad sign yeah and so because of that it was a mixed reception from critics because some people believe they were upset they weren't allowed to see it beforehand um and many critics complained about the violence and sexual content um and some were like hitchcock's kind of missed a step or whatever um but real quick, back to the, the life-size cutouts. Here's what the life-size cutout said. Because you had Hitchcock, as you said, pointing at his watch to go inside. And mm. the words underneath it said, the manager of this theater has been instructed at the risk of his life not to admit to the theater any persons after the picture starts. Any attempts to enter by side doors, fire escapes, or ventilating shafts will be met by force. The, object- the entire objective of this extraordinary policy, of course is to help you enjoy psycho more was was the the whole like hitchcock doing the trailers was that born from the tv show because he would so. do the like yeah. he would do the intro to the tv show but then the the trailers for his films just became like the you know the the birds i think is the famous one where, yeah. where he it's just him like there's they don't even show clips from the movie it's yeah. just you know that which is insane at the time like directors weren't you know that, that is yeah. why he is like the the first you know it's like mainstream auteur yeah. like directors weren't the face of the movie until he came along it's like basically picture like i don't know like 
I mean, yeah, I guess Spielberg coming on your trailer, but hey, let me show you my new movie. <laughs> I just thought when you said that I just thought of the the Tom Cruise coming on before Top Gun oh, yeah. being like thank you for being here. Yeah, the, I'm Tom Cruise. Thank you for think coming of to Spielberg see Spielberg being that guy doing that. Yeah. You know, like he's yeah he's like walking down the West Side Story street of like hey guys, this is my new movie West Side Story. <laughs> I know you're probably wondering is it gonna be better than the first one? It is. Um, no, but yeah, like the, the, the the trailer for Psycho is literally six minutes of Hitchcock walking around the sets being like walking, yeah walking through the motel right he's yeah. like oh so here here's something really really terrible happens it's like I can't even say it I can't even say <laughs> it and then the walks away and you're like I gotta go see this movie um yeah. and it's again it's that it's that dry humor of like he'll he'll be like oh well, I have to tell you, he hit this character really never mind and then just like moves <laughs> on it's like well I have to see this movie um so with it being a box of success, but it was a critical mixed critically, it did receive some award recognition. Uh, it received four Oscar nominations, including best director for Hitchcock and best supporting actress for Janet Lee. The only one of her career, the film would eventually become the second highest grossing film of 1960, making around $32 million worldwide. The only film that outgrossed it that year was Stanley Kubrick's Spartacus. Ooh. which also starred John Gavin, by the way. I forgot about this. He plays Julius Caesar in that movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also not very good in that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and let's not forget that that neat little fact that Hitchcock had 60% of the box office gross. So he made over $15 million for this movie, which is the equivalent of $150 million today. Yep. He would later swap his rights for the film and his television show for 150,000 shares of MCA stock, making him the third largest state cult shareholder at Universal in the 1960s. Wow. He hoped this would give him creative freedom for the rest of his career, but he still had to meet with studio heads. Um, mm -hmm. He would make a total of six more films, including The Birds, but none topped the financial or cultural success of psycho. And it's really, it's really psycho. You know, we talked about this with del Toro. It's like, um, so many of his films after psycho were horror, but like pre psycho, yeah. it's really what, like shadow of a doubt. Maybe like Rebecca is Gothic horror. I think shadow of doubt is the closest to like horror that yeah, he has. It's still, very, yeah, it's still very suspense driven. It's like rear window is suspense. Like maybe it's kind of a scary movie to an extent. Um, strange on a train mm. um with with the kind of killing stuff but it's it's like it dealt with murder but he never dealt with murder in this way right like rope is not psycho right it's never as straightforward as it is in psycho and then you've got like frenzy and uh, frenzy you know, where yeah he, 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 he gets yeah he gets into it big time where it becomes like a real serial killer type movie basically um but yeah, so it seems Anthony Perkins and Janet Lee, I've heard they were at first mixed about how well the movie did because it typecast them in roles. Tony Curtis, I think, said that like it drove them to their divorce, which I just, if it's Tony Curtis saying it, I kind of don't believe it. Um, <laughs> he's like, she drank a lot because of it. And yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure it was a I'm sure it was a movie that she did that she was really uh, famous for that, yeah. that is what led to the divorce, yeah. Tony. I'm sure it wasn't your fault. Yeah. But as time went on, at least, they both said they loved the fact they were involved in the film 
and they would rather be remembered for one movie than not remembered at all. Wasn't wasn't Perkins eventually? Wasn't he involved in the creative side on some of the sequels? Didn't he like? Direct I think he was or? producer of of some of the. He might have he might have directed. I know he did direct the fourth one later on in his career, but uh, and then his son became a horror director. Yeah, so look at that. There you go. And then, and then again too, like he wrote uh, co wrote Last of Sheila with uh, Stephen Sondheim, yeah. so he was a creator. <laughs> A lot and and, and, and almost uh, what was it? Clue was it? Clue? They almost, they almost did? a clue, yeah, because of yeah. Last of Sheila. I love Anthony Perkins. Um, love him in love him in the Catch Twenty Two movie. Not a lot of love for I, that movie. I need to see Catch Twenty Two. That's why I haven't seen. They just played that again at the New Art too when I was out of town. Oh yeah, yeah. They did. They did a whole Mike Nichols week. They, I think they showed Catch Twenty Two twice. Uh, my my film professor in that in that first uh, community college class uh uh met um uh what's his face heller didn't wrote catch 22 oh yeah, right? yeah yeah the joseph author? heller yeah i think so yeah yeah the author of it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they met him one time and they were like like a, he was at a q a or something and everybody was like man i can't believe they butchered your your book into that movie and he was like yeah i thought it was pretty good that was a pretty <laughs> good adaptation and they were like yeah but it didn't do this he was like how would you expect to turn that book into a movie yeah, like, yeah. it's it's impossible yeah, I watched um, I watched Clooney's show of it. wasn't bad. I, it was good. I, didn't, I didn't watch them because Nichols did it. Um, Perkins also good in, in a a movie called Play as It Lays, adaptation of a Joan Didion's novel. Pretty good in that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so today it's Hitchcock's most recognized film, possibly his most influential in both the horror genre and cinema as a whole. With many crediting it as the jumpstart for the slasher genre. Some mm-hmm. will debate. I'll bring it up here. Um, uh, Pals, um, uh, Peeping Tom, hmm. uh, which came out the same year as Psycho and a few months before Psycho, but it was not as financially or even critically successful as Psycho was. So, sounds like horror fans to me. Came, yeah, came before it, but was not as impactful when it first came out. Mm-hmm. It's developed over time. Um, the, the, the like, this idea of like like no one is safe that that Hitchcock really introduced with this movie is is such a you know is such a huge part of of the slasher yes. uh, genre. Yeah, because apparently uh, Janet Lee said she never took a shower again after this movie and only took baths mm. because she didn't realize how um how unprotected she was when she was <laughs> in the shower. Apparently, um, but yeah, the film is now listed toward the top of numerous film lists. It's received several sequels and television adaptations with Bates Motel. Um, I actually like Psycho 2. Oh, you... I thought you were about... I, I, you guys can't see how wide my eyes just got. I was, I really thought you were about to say, I actually like the Gus Van Zandt movie. And I was going to be like, <laughs> what? I've, I've seen it. I, I, didn't, I didn't really like it when I saw it. Can't comment now of what it's been like. But I like Psycho 2. Okay. Have you seen Psycho Two? I have seen Psycho Two. Yeah, I like. I like it's Psycho good. 2. It's a, well. It's a. It's like a. It builds. It's not a Hitchcock movie, but it's it, not a Hitchcock yeah. movie. But it, I like it. Builds on the lore of Norman, and I think it has one of the best like taglines on a poster. It was mm. like, "It's been twenty years, and Norman Bates is finally coming home." Mm-hmm. Like that's like I want to see that movie, um, and of course it's been parodied numerous times, countless times over the past. 60 years 
here's your paper. Here's your paper. <laughs> so Thomas, what worked about Psycho? Oh man. Uh, I think, I think we've talked about it enough, but score obviously yeah. um, Hitchcock, you know, it, this is, this is when you talk about Hitchcock's career, this is like the amalgamation of so many of his like great collaborations. You've got him and Herman, just like an mm-hmm. iconic, uh, you know, so many great movies together, but I think this is the culmination of it. You've got him and Saul Bass. His, ed- his um, editor too. His editor didn't. They had nine films together. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's it's it's. This is why kind of Hitchcock is is a great way to intro into auteur theory. Is like he he worked with so many people and they all finally meshed together so well on this one, which is wild that it's like the cheapest one and <laughs> the one that was like you know we're just gonna do it and then it just like it just kind of opened up the possibilities. Um, but yeah, the the editing, the the music anthony perkins uh there's so many there, there are so many things that work in this in this one and and i think it's it's ultimately it's just kind of the daringness of it all yeah. it's 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 him and all of his collaborators being like we are going to do something different yeah and and it absolutely works it shows you that limitations prompt you to be even more creative sometimes mm-hmm. it's like yeah. just because you have Cary grant and element Burge budget doesn't need, mean you actually need that every time um yeah. but you can do something with literally a camera and a back lot essentially um yeah again i i when i come back to this movie over and over again i again i find more appreciation for janet lee and anthony perkins this film i think mm-hmm. again i don't love a lot of the acting by certain people in this movie and so it's a testament that they actually elevate the movie on an acting level because it could have just been no-name people in this movie. And it, and that scene the movie hinges on when they're in the lounge would not have worked. Like, picked, mm-hmm. how many horror films do you know of where we're just like, we're going to sit down for 12 minutes and have two people talk? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a rarity. And they are able to pull it off both in characterizations of the are both in their characters but also it builds tension and that's in the direction but i think in the characters build tension where like perkins starts to like break when he when she mentions like have you thought about sending her away somewhere someplace someplace they always say someplace so yeah it's like it really hinges on their performances i think a lot of the time mm-hmm. so that's what worked did anything not work about psycho thomas um, like you said, some of the some of the some of the supporting actors, yeah. the, the cracks start to show. I think, you know, I think it, John it, Gavin it is, is, is not that great. It's not that yeah. great. How do you feel about the car salesman? <laughs> I, I really like him, but he's very like stilted. But you yeah, know, maybe he's a car salesman. Maybe that's his his spiel. I, I th- yeah, um, I think I read that 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 used car lot was actually near Universal lot in like Universal City. I think. Um, hmm. y- yeah, he's fine. Um, and that will lead into the ending i i'm not gonna i don't come down as hard on the ending as some people do there there are people who's like who are like the ending ruins the movie like i turn the movie off yeah, before that, yeah before the ending i don't i don't think that there are people who are like hitchcock never showed to put it in i i don't think people at the time were savvy enough to walk out of that movie and go well obviously this was the psychosomatic like the, yeah obviously this is what was going on in norman's mind like yeah. I, 
do you have to spoon feed it to him that much? I don't know. Yeah, I have I have read he didn't want that ending, but the studio was like, you have to explain it to people that don't get it. I think it's maybe the way that that guy plays it. Yeah, he's, he's like kind of so condescending in his explanation of it. It makes everybody feel kind of like, OK, well, you think we're all idiots. Yeah. Like, um, yes. It was. And no. Norman. It was the mother. Yeah. Um, but I, I never know when people I know people kind of hate that part. But like, you know, once once we get to the fly, it's all out of my mind is the thing. Yeah, because like, the fly, the fly seems great. Yeah. is so good that I, I'm just like, OK, like, like, let's get through this explanation. Then we can get to that. I'm, yeah, I'm not even going to swap that fly. Yeah. Um, that part is so it's such a that's such a perfect ending. And then the dun, dun, yeah. when they're pulling the car out. And, um, and then you have like the, the weird face of like the, the mother's skull over mm-hmm. Anthony Perkins's face. Yeah, that that part, it's worth it. So, you know what, if if you could go back and change anything, I'd say, you know, maybe maybe we we trim down that that scene. We yeah, don't need a- the full explanation of how everything went down. But I, I don't think you can just go without it. I, I think you, you need somebody to explain, especially in 1960. Like, yeah. this is how split personalities work. Yeah, um, but it's, it's like, it's like what happened to the money? Oh, the uh, Norman didn't care about the money. It, it was, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's in the swamp somewhere. Uh, I think I heard Hitchcock said that basically, like, he had to tie those loose ends up because the studio wanted him to, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I also heard that he the studio want him to add the cop scenes. They go to the cops and ask for help. Mm. He didn't want that's mm-hmm. it's that those scenes kind of are lackluster. The, the, the mayor or whatever. Oh, the, sheriff, the sheriff. The sheriff. Of the yeah. Town. yeah. Um, yeah, there's been, I will, cause I want to report this cause it's been kind of up in the, up in the, in the film world of late is like the, that five minute sequence, at the end also kind of turns the movie some people believe it turns in the movie and somewhat being somewhat transphobic because the way it mm. describes Norman of dressing up in woman's clothing and making him evil because of that. Um, mm. So there, I, I know in the recent like Bates motel that, that kind of the way that's done has changed, I believe. Um, and so it's people wonder, do you need him dressing up and being like, is he is is he trans or is he there's a lot of conflicts yeah, i mean I, I i feel like the movie itself like isn't there isn't there a part where where they're like why would he put on the dress and somebody's like he's a i can't remember now exactly what the line is trans, he's, he's a transvestite yeah. and the doctor's like no yeah he he thought he was the mother and the and the 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 clothing represented when he was fully mother yeah. um but yeah, I don't know. It's, I I, it's, I am not the person to have that discussion because I I I but I more people who are more intelligent than me can can decipher it more. But and, and I do think when when we're talking about kind of the jumping back and forth between the genres, it does feel like that scene is like we dip back into or or even jumping back and forth between the decades. Yeah, it's like that scene does feel like we dip back into old school. Yes, and and it does kind of feel like the end of a TV show. Yes, the end of an episode. But then the 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 fly ending is so. You know, Perfect, you, you, yeah. you just look at that and the way it's shot and the way it's lit and the way Perkins is doing it like that is the 60s. Like yeah. that is new and hot and fresh yeah. and disturbing and, and everything. Um, film facts. So there were three female voices for the, the, the role of mother and Hitchcock mixed them all together to mm. find the perfect balance. 
Um, also, I forgot to put this in onset life, but uh, apparently while on set, Hitchcock would put versions of Mother's Corpse in various places, like in Janet Lee's uh, dressing room to scare her. <laughs> Sometimes some people say it was it was a way to like keep the tension up for her for those scenes, but also it sounds like he might have done it to see which which corpse was the more terrifying, the scariest. scariest by her scream. She seemed like she was all game for it, is what it would come off as. But yeah, uh, last thing I have apparently Walt Disney refused to allow Alfred Hitchcock to film at Disneyland in the early 1960s for a failed movie he was making. And, and Disney said he wouldn't allow him to do it because of that disgusting movie Psycho. <laughs> so Disney was not a fan. Um, so awards, the Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress, on the scenes that kills it. Actually, can we, I, I have one. I have one question. Yeah. I've, I've never. What what is who is screaming and what is screamed when when Norman comes in? And is it is it him screaming Norma Bates? Yeah. But in mother's voice. Is it Norma or is it? I think it's Norman. What? I think it's. I think it's just Norman. And and like like mother screaming for him or something like that. Yeah. Like, Norma. I can never. And that's when yeah. But it's like ah Norman Bates. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know. That's a good question. But his his mouth doesn't move. <laughs> Anthony Perkins' mouth doesn't move. But 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 something is said when 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 he comes in. I, um, I agree. It does. I've never. I've never understood it. Watched either. it. I've watched it a hundred times. I still don't. Know. I might have to get Brent the subtitles. Also, <laughs> also film facts. I forgot to say. Uh, in terms of lineage of the slasher genre, again, the character's name is Sam Loomis for the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Yep. Doctor Loomis in Halloween, and then Billy Loomis, Billy Loomis in Scream. So that's the kind of the DNA of Psycho that kind of has run through the slasher yeah, genre. And, and, and then obviously with Scream, you get that like, oh, we're, we're going to kill off the most famous actress in the movie. Yep. In the beginning. Or the casting of, of Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, who is the daughter of Janet Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all very purposeful. I think, yeah. I think even the nurse in Halloween at the beginning with Dr. Loomis is last name is Crane. I believe. Hmm. So there's that. So all very purposeful. So if you don't think, if you're sitting there going, Psycho's not a, a slasher, slasher. Well, guess what? We've got we've got Carpenter <laughs> and Wes Craven on our side. So, so. back off. Um, and that's just the ones we know of off the top of our head. <laughs> so awards. The Beatrice Strait Award for Actor, Actress, Lynn Scenes That Kills It. Is Martin Balsam in, enough, in few enough? I like Martin or, Balsam. There's one I haven't we haven't brought up and I want to mention her. I really like his dog. I love pa- Patricia Hitchcock in this movie. Who's, I just take headache pills. Who's who's his who's his uh, daughter in real life? He was flirting with you. I, no, I love this. I love this. Yeah, it's that same. He was flirting with you. I guess he saw my wedding ring. <laughs> That's uh, you know, I, I I I've always heard they had a very good relationship, but like so many of her appearances in his movies are just like about like how ugly she. <laughs> well, it's like I. I one part I didn't pick up until this time was like how I don't know how I missed this, but like that Marion lives with her sister is the thing. Mm-hmm. And that's constantly kind of referenced of like when they're talking about the date or about eating dinner together with the sister. And then the sister's the one that he, she's calling and like she's out of town or whatever. But it's weird to see like, again, talking about unmarried or whatever in this mo- moment, it's like that Marion is unmarried and living 
with her sister and could become an old maid, I guess, in this period of time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I love Patricia Hitchcock when she's like, oh, he must he must have saw my wedding ring. And and or, or, like you talk about the pills, like oh, I took him on my wedding night, and he was he was very upset when he found I took a tranquilizer on my wedding night. But I yeah, I, I'll give it to I, you. Like I, Patric- I like Patty Hitchcock a yeah, lot. I like so I like it. Martin Balsam. He he might be supporting. Hmm. He's only in like four scenes, so maybe he is be straight. But I think because she's in just like a specific section so early on and gone, and has kind of no weight to the plot of the movie, mm-hmm. I like her. Is Mr. Lowry back from lunch? He's lunching with a man who's buying the Harris Street property. You know the oiliest man? That's why he's late. You got a headache? Oh, it'll pass. Headaches are like resolutions. You forget them as soon as they stop hurting. Have you got some aspirin? I got something. Not aspirin. My mother's doctor gave them to me the day of my wedding. Teddy was furious when he found out I'd taken tranquilizers. Any calls? Teddy called me. My mother called to see if Teddy called. Oh, your sister called to say she's going to Tucson to do some buying and she'll be gone the whole weekend. Annie Potts X Factor Award supporting actor, actress of the most memorable. Now, here's a question. Who, Does Janet, who fits in here? Does Marion fit in? Does Janet, Janet Lee fit in here? I don't know. She's gone. She dies 48 minutes into the movie. She is. She was nominated for supporting actress and not lead. Also, we haven't. Vera Miles is very good. In she this. is also we, very we, good. We haven't. It's it's a kind of thankless role. Yeah. But, um, and, and there was tension on set because Vera Miles was supposed to be Kim Novak's role in Vertigo, mm-hmm. but got pregnant and had to back out. And Hitchcock apparently had tension with her because yes. he wanted to make her the next Grace Kelly, and she wanted to go off and have a family like Grace Kelly. Um, like Grace Kelly had done to him, yes. And that's, uh, Hitchcock. and that's why apparently she's dressed down a lot in this movie and made mm. it look almost like frumpy compared to Janet Lee. Hitchcock had some very icky relationships with his uh, with his leading ladies. Very much so. I don't. Yeah, I might prop him up as a director, but yeah, he he was a very yeah not a great guy outside of that with how he dealt um, with women. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know who. Is Janet Lee up for this? I think she is. I think she is. All right. Well, let's give it to her. I, th- for sure. I think she deserves it. I think again, forty-eight minutes. So she's she's not halfway mark. So she is supporting, and yeah. So I, I would give it to her, Janet Lee, Andy Potts, X Factor Award. Sam, this is the last time. Yeah. For what? For this. Meeting you in secret, so we can be secretive. You come down here and business trips and we steal lunch hours i wish you wouldn't even come all right what do we do instead write each other lurid love letters i have to go sam i can come down next week no not even just to see you have lunch in public oh we can see each other we can even have dinner but respectably in my house, with my mother's picture on the mantle and my sister helping me broil a big steak for three. All right. Gene Hackman MVP award, person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. I mean, Perkins Perkins is up there, but but I think it's obviously Hitchcock. This, this would be a, a, a first, I think, but I would also nominate Bernard Herrmann for, for this one. I mean, Hitchcock said he's 33% of the reason why the movie works. Question is, what are the, what's the other 66.666% 6, 6, 6, 6 
of the movie. It's 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 editing, it's performances, but Hitchcock's all at the middle of it. So I think I again, I, you have to go back to like I don't know of a director that would get this big nowadays and then on his own on his or her own volition be like give me less money. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to I mean you see it sometimes like people who do like Marvel films like hey, let me go make a smaller film to get back to my roots or whatever. But it's a little bit different because now I think you're going to have people who want to give money to you to do that. I think at this point that he was so like, I will put my own money on this, that Mm -hmm. this will be successful. And because, again, it's so influential, I think you have to give it to him. They'll put him away now, as I should have, years ago. He was always bad. And in the end, he intended to tell them I killed those girls and that man as if I could do anything except just sit and stare like one of his stuffed birds. They know I can't even move a finger, and I won't. I'll just sit here and be quiet just in case they do suspect me. They're probably watching me. Well, let them. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I'm not even going to swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. All right, final questions. If this movie was remade today, it's been remade before, several times actually, if you count the TV show, who would you cast in these roles? Thomas. Okay. Um, I, I've always said for the longest time, and when they when they made the Hitchcock movie, I was like, why is Andrew Garfield not playing Anthony Perkins? Yeah. Anthony Perkins right now. They have very similar uh physicality. I think he's probably a little too old now to to pull off. Yeah. Um but but that would be my first thought, would be Andrew Garfield. Um as of who is like of the proper age today and could pull uh, justice smith comes to mind okay um as kind of having that like could be could be like very sympathetic and then and then kind of slowly transform and also is like very non-threatening non-assuming just in his like overall being like, I feel like if you go with, like, you know, if you're thinking, like, who's who's our who's our go to lanky boys? Like, I feel like Timmy Chalamet would have like a little bit too much. I feel like he could be threatening from the start if he if he played it the wrong way. Um, yeah, but he I could, he could he could be he could be Norman. I could see that. I'm going Justice Smith, though. That's okay. my that's my thought. He was getting boy. Um, uh, he was in boy years. I know that another kind of like Hitchcock s yeah. movie. I uh this he, I'm playing a video game right now that he's in, but it's like it's like motion <laughs> capture acting, so you know it it, it actually um uh, it's real acting, but he's 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 good in it. Um, so Justice Smith, you're saying no Timmy Chalamet. I think I think people are gonna if 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 Marianne shows up halfway through the movie and boom, there's Timmy Chalamet. Like you're, you know, I'm I'm talking I'm talking about a world in which someone comes into this not knowing the original Psycho. That's fair. Um. But also, you gotta have someone who's gonna carry the movie for that back half. I think you could do you it. Think justice, have, okay, okay. Justice for justice. Let's go. Okay. Um, Marion. Marion. I have a Marion. 
Kiernan Shipka. I like Kieran Shipka for that. We're going younger for, for both of them. Mm-hmm. And fun little tie, Kieran Shipka was in The Black Coat's Daughter, which was directed by Osgood Perkins. Oh, there you go. Um, Elizabeth Olsen was my pick for for Janet Lee hmm. for, for Marion Crane. I feel like, okay, there's two versions here. I want I just, because you have the younger version with Kieran Shipka and Justice Smith. And you have your older one with Andrew Garfield and Elizabeth Olsen. Andrew Garfield and, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen. Olsen. Okay, yeah. That's those are my that's my two versions of this. It's like you got a, the 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 Netflix movie or the theatrical movie. <laughs> Not the this Netflix movies. But you know, if we, if we took if we took Hitchcock's approach and brought it to today, it would probably be he'd probably cut some some deal to go straight to streaming. It probably would actually. <laughs> Do you remember that thing back in the, or a few years ago where like Vimeo's thing was like, if Hitchcock was alive, he'd use Vimeo today. <laughs> that was their marketing. Yeah. And then people were like, how would you know this? Yeah. He was a, Hitchcock was a populist. <laughs> he was not, he would be on YouTube. Be on YouTube. <laughs> Vimeo or how dare you? That was the whole thing about the French appreciation of him was he was like so unassuming as a, as an altar. Um, um, so that, that's the two versions we're saying. Kieran Shipka, Justice Smith. Or Andrew Garfield and Elizabeth Olsen. Yes. I can deal with that. All right. Okay. Does this film fit with any other genres? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's a it's a it's a noir until it's not. Yeah. It's the I think it's the I think if you like I think Eddie Muller uh on TCM, like uh I think he wrote a book on he's he's I think he's written books on noir, but I think he says last chapter is psycho for like the big noir book. Because that's the definitive like that's the end and everything else is neo-noir after that mm-hmm. and i think it's a noir we're saying it's a slasher um i don't know if it, i don't know if it goes anywhere else is the thing outside of horror like i you can't argue contained even though a lot of it is at bates motel um mm-hmm. I mean, it has a, it's, it's a mystery, you know, it's got, it's got the, the, the mystery element to it. Christmas adjacent, adjacent, forgot about that. It is Christmas mm, adjacent, yeah. takes place around Christmas, but has no like references outside of the date and decorations. Mm-hmm. Um, You said mystery, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a murder mystery. I think you'd say that it's a murder mystery of some kind of who kills this person. It's, it's, it's hard to rewatch it. You know, if you were, if you can come at it fresh, it's, it's like, cause they are always trying to find the mother. And so when you're rewatching it you're like, oh yeah, they're trying to find out like the mystery of who the mother is. Yeah. But originally it's not, it's like the mother is going to like, the mother is the one who has the, she's a witness. Like she's going to be the one who knows what yes. happened and can tell us one way or the other. And then everything changes when you find out the mother's been dead yeah. for years. And it's like, who's out there on Forest Lawn Cemetery, whatever he says. So how does this film fit within the slasher genre, Thomas? Well, you know, one thing we didn't talk about is, is and when we, we've talked about Halloween before, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the the thing that everyone says Halloween was like so revolutionary was mm-hmm. this idea that like horror could happen in the suburbs. Yeah. Because, you know, with gothic horror, with, with the, the you know, with Hitchcock's earlier stuff, like if you count Rebecca's gothic horror, mm-hmm. it was like the scary stuff is in the big spooky abandoned mansion. Yeah. Uh, the scary stuff is in Dracula's crypt. You you have to go out and seek scary stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I do think this, you know, everyone talks about 
Halloween was like horror comes to the suburbs. But this one also kind of introduces that idea of like you don't have to seek out something scary. It can happen in your unassuming roadside motel. Yeah. Um, it, you know, there is nothing creepy inherently about your surroundings. I mean, now, you know, it's, it's kind of that, like now you see a roadside motel and you're like, I'm not taking a shower there. But yeah. that is because of this movie. Yeah um you know it's, it's a kind of charming little motel until until that all goes down it's like, it's, um, yeah because it's the, like he's, he says like oh the highway moved and so ever, no one comes here anymore like he's like this mm-hmm. charming like route almost like route 66 hotel mm-hmm. and now it's underneath a decrepit mansion above, above on the hill but yeah that that aspect of like um you know this can happen anywhere is, is such a huge part of the the slasher and then like i said this this aspect of like no one is safe i like i don't care how famous this actor is i don't care if if you think they're the main character like anyone can die and that that's a very it's a very slasher concept even though as you go on then you get the idea of the final girl and then it's like well she's not gonna die she's the final girl but um people have played with that on and off uh yeah but but yeah this this idea of like any anything can happen now the only thing that is a constant is the killer um yeah is, is really you know a, a slasher concept yeah and, and again you talk about that like that that this definitely established that again too talking about like the slasher movie and like the lore of a slasher movie i think this does a good job of establishing the lore of norman bates yeah of like his 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 mother and him lived together for a long time. It very much hints that there's some sort of sexual nature between the mother mm, and the very son. Edible. Yeah. Um, and then you have, he kills them out of spite because she's forgotten about him and moved on to this other man. Um, and then you build off that lore of what he's turned into, what he's become mm-hmm. because of it. Um, there's a motivation behind it. Um, and uh, you have that, you have the kind of jump scares that pop up here that become a big part of slasher films. Um, and yeah, even, even just the point of a knife of the weapon being a knife. Mm-hmm. That is the big trope of a slasher genre is they, they wield a knife. If it's Michael Myers or if it's, if it's ghost face and scream um, mm-hmm. or Freddy Krueger with knives for hands, basically that's where the name slasher comes from. So it all kind of comes here in this in this film. So yeah. Anything else, Thomas on Psycho? I think I think that's. I mean, we could go. I could. I, I we could, could take go for you, a while. I feel I like I could take you a lot deeper. But uh, I feel like but favorite we'll, scenes we'll, we'll was. Stop there. I think favorite scenes was like two scenes we talked about for like twenty minutes. It felt like. Um. So yeah. So again, this month we're talking about slasher movies, a wide variety. We're talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. The final week we're talking about Ty West. X, one of our most modern films we've talked about on this show. But next week, Thomas, what are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about we, we, there's there's a very rich history of the slasher film in Europe. Yep. And so we're going to talk about one of the earlier ones. Um, it's it's known as La Residencia in, um, I believe, Spain. Is it's where in Spa- it was it's a Spanish, Spanish horror film. Yes. Everyone's speaking English. Yep. Uh, some people are dubbed. Some people are actually speaking English. Yeah. Um, but it is known in America as the house that screamed. Yeah. So, um, it is very hard to find, but it's last stre- I checked, it's streaming on Tubi. Was... Streaming on Tubi. Tubi. Yeah. Is it a, is a pretty good print? Cause there was a very bad print checked. on YouTube for a while. I haven't but, checked. Um, Tubi's kind of one of those things that everyone's like, 
you think it's sh- it shouldn't exist, but it does. And like one day, it's like one day away from being shut down by the the overlords or yeah. whatever. This movie's free. Just watch a couple of ads. We swear. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's something a lot of people who are slasher fans might be familiar with the Giallo films. Uh, this this kind of predates some of them, and and we'll go into it's it's the influences on it, the influences of what came after, and yeah. I think it is just an insane really unique horror film so yeah i hope i hope more, i hope people watch it and i hope they enjoy it yeah it's one of the more i think it's one of the more deep cuts cuts we've done of late i even i actually recommended to some, someone was on twitter like asking for like good giallos and everyone's like saying like deep red or every argento film and i was like okay it's not from italy but the house that screamed is the movie to watch because if you like argento specifically suspiria it very much feels like an early version of Suspiria. But yeah, that's next week. But that's all we have for you on this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at Podcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, concerns even. I don't know. Kind words. Also, if you're a new listener or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us yet, be sure to do so to stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Yeah, guys, a, uh, a boy's best friend might be his mother, but a podcaster's best friend is a five-star review. So, <laughs> Be our friend. And yeah, and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Please do that. And TikTok. Uh, Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.